It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. So we'll take a moment to close our eyes and turn our attention within and consciously imagine our coming year, our year ahead. Now, we can't control everything, and this isn't a magical process. But what I have found is that by imagining possibilities and using intention to consider a particular way life could be, it's more likely that life will go that way. Not guaranteed. Might not even be exactly the way you imagine it. But if you see yourself learning to ride a bicycle in the next year and you keep seeing yourself doing that, it'll start to sink in and you'll start thinking about riding a bike and you'll start going to stores and looking at bicycles and eventually you will buy one and you keep thinking about it and you'll find yourself trying to ride the bicycle. And this is all because of your intention, something that you keep your awareness on that you're looking at a goal that you're moving towards. So you, you tend to experience things a little more obviously, a little more frequently when you see it as a possibility for yourself. Um, that could be learning a musical instrument. That could be the possibility of um, clearer states of consciousness, better relationships, or uh, better boundaries so that you can have better relationships. And I like to do this throughout the day. Instead of mindlessly daydreaming, I'll just stop and I'll imagine something about the future and a possibility. And I'll stick with that for a few weeks or a few months or maybe even longer, depending on what it's about. So let's just experiment with that. With your eyes closed, feeling your body and feel, feel your breath. So you want to try to feel the wholeness of what you can be aware of right now. So you can feel your body. You can feel the breath. You can be aware of this particular moment. When you have that feeling, now with your eyes closed in your mind's eye, imagine a possibility for you in the next year. Imagine greater clarity. Imagine yourself making choices that lead to higher fulfillment. Imagine yourself having a greater understanding of what it means to live a spiritual life or having a greater understanding of what is really true of yourself. So pick something, pick one thing. And with your eyes closed, just imagine if that was possible, what would that feel like? That's the key. If you were already experiencing it now, what would that feel like? You'd feel good about it. And I even talk to myself a little bit while I'm doing this. And I'll say things like, yeah, that's great. That's, I'm so glad I was able to experience that state of truth. I'm so glad I was able to experience that greater capacity for having healthier boundaries. I'm so glad I made better decisions. I, I get into it and I, I repeat that and I feel that. And I imagine that it's already happened. 
And I just stay there. As I said, you can't control everything. There's no guarantee these things work, but it's more likely to pull you in that direction. And there's no harm in doing it because it can also be a wonderful meditation technique because it's giving you something to focus on, hopefully something you enjoy focusing on, which makes it easier. So feel that. Imagine the next year, if there's one quality or one, one experience you could have about developing greater clarity or a healthier life. Yeah, I can feel that. That's great. I'm glad I, I was able to experience that. Say that to yourself. Imagine it. All the while feeling the breath and feeling the body. And it can be helpful to smile a little bit. Feel your face just smiling a little bit and lifting, lifting your eyebrows a little bit or re releasing the tension in the, the forehead center. Just feeling that. This next year, yeah, that's a possibility. And I'm so glad I was able to experience that. That's great. And as you sit there feeling the body and feeling the breath, look back as though the year has already happened and that, that which you wish to experience, clearer consciousness, better boundaries and relationships, a deeper understanding of what is true about life, the universe and everything. Look back in your mind as though the year has already happened and just as though you're reminiscing. That was a wonderful, that was a wonderful thing to experience. I'm so glad that actually happened. And you can remember times when things have actually happened and they worked out well and you had that sense of, yeah, relief, but also joy. So pull that up in your body and your heart as you imagine the year ahead and you're looking back and you're admitting that you, you were able to experience this improvement in your life. And you are supported in the process. Might not have been easy, but you were able to do it. Feel that sense of, yes, that was a wonderful thing. That was a wonderful opportunity to have. It's really, really, really good. And just sit with that for a minute or two. Feel the body and breathe.
As Mr. Davis said, if you want any aspect of your life to be improved, you have only to exercise your freedom of choice and decisively act in accord with your choices. If you want any aspect of your life to be improved, you have only to exercise your freedom of choice and decisively act in accord with your choices. And that requires the ability to choose to be emotionally mature, to assume responsibility for your thoughts, actions, and circumstances, to be optimistic and cheerful and calmly energetic, to renounce useless or self-centered thoughts, feelings, desires, and activities and relationships, to manage your resources and your money wisely, and to cultivate wholesome life-enhancing thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and relationships. So we'll talk more about this, these requirements um, in our next session. But for now, it's important to consider them, start pondering what they could mean to choose to be emotionally mature, to be optimistic, cheerful, and calmly energetic, to renounce useless or self-centered thoughts, feelings, desires, activities, and relationships, to work and earn your money and manage it wisely, to cultivate only wholesome life-enhancing thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and relationships. These are all things that we have to do in order to feel and experience the full benefit of any spiritual practice. Again, we're talking about Kriya Yoga because that is what we are drawn to. It's what we do. It's our own little unique path. Uh, but any spiritual path requires these things. And they're not recommendations. They're not things that you maybe try to do. They're things that you have to do. And the more you do them, the better all aspects of your spiritual life tends to work. Again, we'll talk about this in our next session. Um, today, what I wanted to spend some time talking about are the qualities of discipleship, the qualities of learning to practice and study Kriya Yoga as a committed disciple. And again, disciple means learner, just like we have the idea of the disciples of Christ. Well, if you're a disciple of Christ, that means you are a learner studying to embody and understand what Christ stood for and what Christ meant in this world. It is about embodying the, um, embodying the principles of Kriya Yoga. Okay, so the qualities of discipleship, there's a few of them, and these aren't written in stone. Uh, these are based on what Mr. Davis used to talk about when people would uh, contact him about being initiated into Kriya Yoga. And I, I thought about that a little bit more. And again, being raised Catholic, you know, we had confirmation or we had to go through confirmation, went through a series of classes. And there was the ritual that you went through to be confirmed as a, a soldier of Christ or something of that nature. Well, we see Kriya initiation is very similar. So many 
traditions have these types of things. We just give them different words and terminology. Um, but these, these ideas we're going to talk about today, they are based on listening to uh, Roy discuss what it means to be a disciple. And it's also based on my own experience over the past um, 15 years. I've been practicing for around 20 as of this recording, but uh, I was ordained to teach, authorized to teach uh, about five years in. So this is based on my own experience of just working with people, meeting people in classes, workshops, online, talking to people who say they want to practice Kriya Yoga. And in a sense where I've noticed to be qualities which um, those who have really been able to engage the process, these are the qualities that they have. So what is the first quality required? The first quality is that of sincerity. And sincerity can be defined as simply being free of pretense, deceit, and hypocrisy. Free of pretense, deceit, and hypocrisy which means you want to learn, you want to learn because you want to grow up spiritually, because you really want to know what it's like to get a sense of what that word term God refers to, or what it's like to actually be serene and peaceful inside. That is what you want. Um, you're not doing it because you need somewhere to fit in. Uh, you want to be seen as a good person, as though you're trying to prove that to yourself and others. Oh, I'm a good person, so I'm going to join this, this spiritual work to, to prove that. That's all right. It'll get you in the door, but that's not really sincerity. That's not truly understanding uh, what's going on within oneself. And we know from the definitions of Kriya Yoga and the Yoga Sutras, the ability to have self-awareness, to, do, to practice self-study is required, which means you, you, you know what your motivations are. So sincerity is absence of pretense, deceit, and hypocrisy. Um, and in order to have sincerity, we have to practice truthfulness because that will help us understand who and what we are and what our motivations are. Coming to the work of Kriya Yoga to change the world or to, because you think that you can help others by learning how to practice and teach this, well, that's not really uh, a good reason. It's not a sincere reason because you're, you're putting the cart before the horse in a way. Um, you're saying, I want to teach and practice. And again, I was, I was guilty of this, as we discussed earlier on. Um, it's putting the cart before the horse because if you don't really know what it means to fully experience the benefits of Kriya Yoga. Why do you want to teach it? How do you know that? So we have to have the sincerity to understand what our motivations are, uh, practice truthfulness with ourselves, and ideally to recognize that the whole purpose of religion, spirituality, spiritual practice, Kriya Yoga, is to free us from our concepts and our precepts and to allow us to see what is really true about this thing that we're experiencing, that we relate to and are as life. The sincere student is coming at it with that, 
from that perspective in a way. Now, as, as I've said, you might have all different kinds of reasons as to why you're, you're coming to this process. And, and for the most part, you are sincere, you mean well. So we can talk about sincerity as meaning well. But as you get into it, you really do have to take some time to self-reflect and figure out what are your true motivations and can you approach this from that sincere state as we've been describing. And this leads to self-honesty. In order to be a disciple of someone who can actually learn well, um, we have to be able to practice self-honesty, which is, once again, another manifestation of truthfulness. So we don't have to be saints, but we do have to be honest about, honest about who we are and why we do what we do and the role we're meant to play in this world. Um, when it comes to self-honesty, we need to be aware of what we are capable of doing. What are we capable of doing? We need to be aware of our motivations. We need to know why are we doing what we're doing. And very few people really think about this. They just are fascinated by stories of yogis. And they think, well, okay, that sounds good. But they're not really discerning in a way. And they're not being honest with themselves about what might really be required of this. Is it, am, am I seeking fantastic experiences? Or do I really want to engage in what this process has to offer? Now, the idea of knowing what you are capable of doing, when you know what you are capable of doing, you are less likely to make excuses for not doing what you know you need to. And this is something that we all have to learn one way or the other. What are you capable of doing? Are you capable of sitting still for an hour or two a day? Of course you are capable. But do you have all these things in your mind that prevent you from doing it? Well, you know you're capable of doing it. So you need to get away from the excuses. When you begin to contemplate what is the work involved in learning to become emotionally mature, to master our states of consciousness, can you do it? Well, it may be that right now there are certain parts of your life that, are, that seem beyond your control. And it might be true that you don't really have the capability of getting a hold of your states of consciousness right now, of, of managing your emotions and managing your thoughts. So what do you need to do? Well, through self-honesty and sincerity, you're going to find a way to do it. You don't know how to do it right now, but you're going to find a way to do it. Maybe you're overcome by certain emotions or certain um, habits of thought. You've got to find a way to deal with it. That can be with a counselor. That can be with uh, a minister. That can be doing self-help techniques. But you have to be honest with yourself about, can I get the drive to do it? And I can think about how this has affected me, even to this day. It, it actually made me laugh last night as I was thinking about um, this, this discussion um, after we got done with the, uh, yesterday's meditation in the afternoon. Um, some of you may know I've been working on rebuilding a porch that started out as re replacing three boards, but ended up being replacing the whole thing because it was all rotten. And that went on to having to find certain kinds of siding because it's an old house to removing electrical things. It, it, one thing led to another. 
anyway, luckily, um, my father knows how to do all this stuff. Uh, he knows how to do it well, and he's very specific about it. So in a way, I have to laugh about how certain qualities that Mr. Davis had are there in my father too, kind of this unyielding, uh, this, this unyielding attention to detail. So we're almost done with this porch. It's, it's just, it's right there. We can walk on it. We can sit on it. The deck boards are, are done, but it needs to be finished up with the siding. So it looks nice. So it looks, you know, not just like a, a trash little section of the house. We've got all the materials. Finally, it took a month to get them because we had to special order them. And I'm thinking, let's just do it. Let's just knock this out of the park and be done with it. And sure enough, my dad comes over and he says, well, if we're going to do this right, and I'm thinking, oh, geez, anytime he says, well, if we're going to do this right, it means we've got <laughs> one or two more other extensive projects we actually have to do before we're done. So being involved in teaching these two weeks and having the other projects to do, I'm thinking, I don't need one more thing to do. <laughs> but uh, he, he says, this is what you need to do. And I need to take some insulation off of a pipe to move a pipe to put it up to the side of the house. And I had to dig down. Um, to move some wiring so we can put it through the block wall. And he says, well, well, we'll do these other things once you get that done. He's like, so you call me once you get that done. So I decided um, after I got done working with you all yesterday, I'm just going to go home and I'm just going to knock it out. Even if it's going to take me all night, I'm going to get that done. So I had to laugh because as soon as I got started, I was pretty much done. There I had been for the last however many weeks just thinking, oh, wow, I don't, this is just, he's just being, he's just pushing this a little too far. And um, sure enough, within a half hour, I was done with everything that he said I needed to do before we got started on the rest of the project. So I'm telling you this because oftentimes there are things that we avoid doing when really if we would just get started, it would usually work out and probably much quicker than we would think. Uh, I found this in other areas of life too, early on when it came to things like exercise or waking up early. I would dread it. Oh, I can't get up early or, oh, I don't need to exercise. I can do these other things. But eventually I had to simply say, no, I'm not thinking about that anymore. I'm just deciding that tomorrow at 5 a.m., I don't care how I feel. I'm getting out of bed. When it came to exercise, I don't care how I feel. I'm going to go do it. And what I found was, is that by doing those things, it became natural. Now it just happens. Now there's no complaints. I get up early. I exercise regularly. And it just, it's a natural thing. So when it comes to self-honesty and making excuses and knowing what you're capable of, sometimes in order to figure out what you're capable of, you have to challenge yourself. So if you find there are various things you just don't think you can't do, forget it. Just do it. I don't care if you're going to do it poorly. Just try it. And again, uh, recently being in, having a relationship with a um, uh, a, a teenager and being kind of an adult figure in her life, um, watching how she reacts to things. The littlest thing that I know it would only take her five minutes to do, she has meltdowns about. And I have to say, all right, look, just come with me. This is what we're going to do. And she's sobbing and crying. I can't do it. And I'm saying, just do it. And she thinks I'm being a horrible person. And five minutes later, she's done. And she stops crying. Like, wow, well, that actually wasn't very hard at all. So many of us are this way, even as an adult. So don't be a teenager. <laughs> this is part of growing to emotional maturity. And being a yogi requires letting go of 
the things you like and dislike. It's, you're going to find that over and over in spiritual literature. Forget about whether you feel good about it, whether you don't feel good about it, whether you want to do it, whether uh, you don't want to do it. Just do what you know you need to do. The yogi is free of praise and blame. So you're not doing it because people are going to praise you. You're just doing it because it's your duty. And that's what you're here for. So self-honesty can help us learn to see this if we can take the time to actually try, to actually try. And this helps us to develop psychological well-being, which is, is necessary for higher spiritual practices. Spiritual practices are intended, are intended to increase the clarity of your awareness. The greater capacity you have for self-honesty, the easier that will be. Um, as I mentioned, working with a counselor or a therapist, uh, sometimes having an outside objective opinion in the process can be helpful as you work through your self-honesty. And typically, why do, I, why do I say that so much? Because you hear me talk about that a lot. Why don't I say, come to your guru teacher and have him or her tell you exactly what you need to do? Well, because to be honest, um, or at least reflective on what I imagine to be honest and true, most people's feelings can be hurt very easily, even those who don't think that's the case. And if you are able to participate in a useful spiritual path, one that will really be good for you and will actually take you to a higher state of clarity, um, you're just getting started and you go to the teacher guru and the teacher and guru is not a counselor, not a therapist, not there to make you feel better about yourself, just there to tell you what needs to be done. And the guru is unyielding and says, I don't, it doesn't matter if you want to do this, this is what you have to do. It doesn't matter. I don't care how you feel about it. Um, you have to do this. Well, the more that happens, the more you start, many people can start to not really like their guru or think he or she just doesn't understand. And then you start putting up walls and then you start having distance and then you start pushing away practices which can be very useful for you because the guru is not there to explain to you the reasons, not there to help you work through this baggage. The idea is that you've taken care of your baggage. Now you're ready to do the spiritual work. So having a therapist or a counselor, that puts that gives you an objective opinion, an objective perspective. And you can take out, you can take out your excuses on them. <laughs> and, and, and also the wonderful thing about having a counselor and therapist is maybe you do have a crazy teacher. <laughs> and I've, I've seen this happen over and over and over again, working as an astrologer, people who work with me, um, not in this capacity like we're having now, but they come to me for an astrological session talking about their spirituality. And they're discussing what their teacher is teaching them and how they're expecting them to behave and so on. And I'm able to give an objective opinion and say, look, that's, that's ridiculous. You need to disconnect from that because it's not healthy for you. So a counselor can do that for you too. So if you are in an unhealthy relationship with a spiritual teacher or guru, uh, they will help you see that. You have to be open and willing to recognize that as well though too. So this is one of the reasons why I like to encourage working with a counselor or a therapist. Number one, to prevent individuals from succumbing to uh, crazy people who think they know what they're talking about, but really have 
ulterior or sometimes even unconscious agendas, um, but also so that you can work through what you need to work through. You can develop your self-honesty without having resentment towards someone who ultimately can help you once you get over yourself, <laughs> basically. Now, another quality of discipleship is motivation. Um, motivation. And we've talked about what is your motivation. So we're not, when I use the term motivation, it's not what is your motivation. I mean, do you have the motivation to do it? And I look around the world and I see people all the time doing things because they want to do it. Not because their friends are doing it, not because it's going to make them feel better, but because they're interested in it. I see people going to the gym without a partner because they know the benefits of going to the gym and exercising. I see people spending hours playing musical instruments because they just want to get better at it. They want to have that experience of being able to play like that and, and contribute that kind of music to their own life and maybe to the lives of others. Um, spiritually speaking, the spiritual path is a solitary path, ultimately. And uh, the motivation that we have to have to be a true disciple has to be there for ourselves. It has to be there for ourselves. So you have to want it for you. You have to want to have that motivation like, yeah, sure, I'm going to go sit in a chair for an hour and a half and I'm going to I'm going to crank through some meditation techniques. I'm going to figure out how can I get deeper into this process. And you're engaged in it and you're interested in it and you're enthused about it and you're alive with it. Not because anyone else, not because you're going to talk about it with anybody else, not because of any other reason that you're just, you want to do it. You're motivated to do it. Um, Yogananda said to Mr. Davis when Mr. Davis was very young. And if I recall how the story went, um, Mr. Davis again, wasn't much more than probably 19 or so, I would imagine. He might, he might have been 18. Uh, but he, he was coming back to visit Paramahansa Yogananda, and Mr. Davis was very serious and dedicated and sincere and, and motivated from the beginning. He just wanted to have this experience of greater clarity of consciousness. And Roy, um, Roy had been sent to the Phoenix Center away from the big organization of self-realization fellowship. And as Mr. Davis was coming back to visit Yogananda, uh, he was walking through the grounds. And I think I overheard him say that he saw some of the monks, like just kind of goofing around and not being serious. And Mr. Davis became judgmental about that. He's like, well, you know, why aren't they taking this seriously? They have this wonderful opportunity and they're just being kids, teenagers, which they were. So whatever. But when he saw Yogananda, Yogananda said to him, don't allow yourself to be too concerned about what others do or don't do. Don't look back. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Look straight ahead to the goal and go all the way in this lifetime, and you can. Yogananda was saying that to him, so Mr. Davis would learn, it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. It doesn't matter if your spiritual friends are really just goofing off. It doesn't matter if no one else in the world is interested in these things. You yourself have to have the motivation to stick to what you know to be true and to go all the way, to go all the way in this lifetime. So motivation is necessary. Um, and it's 
think about anything else in your life that you have gotten good at. And maybe you've not gotten good at anything in your life. Believe me, there are plenty of people that for some reason never seem to try to get good at anything. <laughs> but if there's something that you, have, that you have a natural inclination towards, that you have just been interested in, that you have done, you, you, you would pick up and read the magazines about it, whether anyone else cared or not. You would um, go to conferences about it, or you would spend hours, if you could, focusing on it. That kind, of, that kind of motivation, you have to find a way to find it here. And maybe you already have it. And if you do, that's wonderful. If you don't, you have to figure out, how do I get it? How do I make this alive for me? So the ability to be self-motivated is necessary. If you are dependent on others in any way for motivation, then your likelihood of success is already in jeopardy. Because people come and go. People come and go. Um, groups provide as much support as they do distracting drama. But throughout the whole thing, it's your own decisive action to wake up that is the only factor which will cons consistently carry you forward. Um, and when one is awake, one is not swayed by outer circumstances. So your, your motivation to wake up can't be affected by outer circumstances. The motivation has to be your own and it has to come from within. This is one of the qualities of being a disciple on this path. And again, this is going to be true for being a disciple on any path, any spiritual path or anything you want to accomplish. <clears throat> so you'll be more receptive to learning well when you think, feel and believe that it is possible. And we have to consider another quality, which is, do you have the ability to learn? Most people don't ever think about this, do they? Do you have the ability to learn? Some people don't, or at least they don't have the ability to learn things rapidly. And that's okay, because you can still grow slowly, and that's better than nothing at all. But do you have the ability to learn? Do you have the ability to sit and hear and listen and apply and try? Because many come to the spiritual path with preconceived notions that they want validated, usually childish things. Um, they don't come to actually learn. And if you consider it, if, if your preconceived notions about what it means to be enlightened or to be clear or to be awake were conducive to enlightenment, you would already be enlightened. <laughs> so validating those preconceived notions, it isn't going to miraculously empower them. So you have to ask, do I have the capacity to learn? You have to ask, am I really willing to let go of what I thought was true? Am I willing to try a new approach and be open and willing to experience the results of that new approach? And this is something that has happened repeatedly in my own practice. I had ideas, some of them were true, some of them had to be cast aside, which required a shift in understanding. I'd then live from that new understanding as we discussed previously um, in an earlier section. The spiritual path is not an academic experience. It is not just about reading things or reciting things. It's not just an academic experience. We may not 
have the intellectual capacity to understand what is being shared. You know that's true when someone's talking to you and you're thinking, I have no idea what they're talking about. This is just, uh, it's almost like your brain gears are crunching around and you're trying, but it's just not going together. Sometimes we don't have the intellectual capacity to understand what is being shared. Consider the holy signs. Okay, go read that book. Tell me if you understand it from cover to cover on the first go. It's likely that the intellectual capacity is not there. And it's easy to say, well, I just don't have the intellectual capacity, so um, I guess I'm out of luck. <laughs> so I'm going to go find a devotional teacher who's just going to tell me to chant mantras and smile a lot, and that'll do it for me. But that's an excuse, and that's a waste of time sometimes. Not that devotion is a waste of time. That is very helpful. It's one half of the whole process. Um, but if you don't have the intellectual capacity, you got to get it somehow. If you don't understand the meanings of words that are being shared, whether it's Sanskrit or otherwise, look them, look them up. Wonder about them until you finally get it. If you can't grasp larger concepts, like, for example, what's described in, well, some parts of the Yoga Sutras and the Bhagavad Gita, but one of the biggest concepts to grasp are what's described in uh, the Holy Science by Sri Yukteswar. If you can't grasp those concepts, you have to learn to practice contemplation to encourage comprehension. So there are ways to increase our intellectual capacity, and they are necessary, and we have to do them if we don't have the intellectual capacity. And I discuss contemplation in the book Kriya Yoga Vichara. Uh, when we started this session, we were doing a little bit of imagination. So one of the things that can help increase your capacity, your intellectual capacity to understand larger concepts is to imagine that you get it. It doesn't mean that you are lying to yourself or that you're making it up that you understand what you don't. It all comes down to having the feeling of, okay, finally, I got that. And what I have noticed in my own life is if, if there are things that I, I can't quite get, I can't wrap my head around, or, or my, my awareness is just too small at the moment, even if I can't fully intellectually grasp it, if I imagine that it's possible, if I have that sense of openness and freedom that, yeah, finally I got that, if I hold that long enough, eventually I'll go back to that text and it's like something clicks. It's like I made the space for it to happen. So when you don't understand something, what is the feeling that tends to happen? Or what tends to happen? You either ignore it, you brush it aside, and you think, well, that's not important. Uh, and then you miss out on a lot. Or you feel stupid. And when you feel stupid, you lock down. It's like a feeling of like, oh, I can't get that. What's wrong with me? It brings in these negative self-esteem emotions of contraction. So the way you counteract that is it may be perfectly true that you really don't understand it right now. But if you can take a deep breath and, and feel like you're expanding outward, like remember when you have understood something, that aha moment, of, wow, you felt good. You felt clear inside. You felt open. Well, you have to bring up that feeling, imagine it, and then kind of say to yourself, I'm so glad I finally got that. I'm glad I understand what this means and affirm it for yourself. And you do that until it finally happens. So this isn't about lying. This isn't about being untruthful. This is about, in a sense, kind of projecting into your future self that does know it and, and just being so thankful that you finally figured it out. This is, in a sense, a metaphysical way to increase your intellectual capacity. 
It's not to take the place of looking up words you don't understand. It's not to take the place of sitting down and thinking it through. You know, in our current culture, we have a thinking deficit. People just don't know how to think. It's too stressful for them. They won't allow themselves the, the, the hard work of trying to figure something out. So you might have to work out that inner muscle of being okay, being uncomfortable, thinking about something, trying to pick it apart and stretch your brain a little bit. You have to be able to do that. So the ability to learn has to be there. Um, it can be in other areas of life too. For example, uh, when it comes to musical instruments, there are some musical instruments that I just knew how to do. You pick this, you put your fingers here, you move things around, it works great. There are other instruments that I learned to play which were just hard. They didn't make any sense. You, you had to do one thing with one hand, another thing with another hand while thinking about three or four other things. And it, my body just couldn't do it at the time, but I knew I could. So I would work on one little bit, get the body moving in one quarter of the way. Then I would start to add the next little bit, so half the way. And it was terrible. It wasn't working. They weren't clicking together, but I kept knowing it was possible. So I kept trying until eventually I had like three seconds where they both locked in at the same time. I'm like, God, ah, success. All right, I've had three seconds of success, which means I can have more. So I kept trying, kept, this is hard. I kept trying, this is hard. Oh, wait a minute, I just did it for a minute? Ah, that's amazing. And it, it kept going. Uh, think about people who play drums. I don't play drums, but this is one of the reasons why I haven't yet. Because you gotta hit something here, use a whole other beat here you've got to stomp your foot one way while stomping the other foot a different way you've got your each hand doing different things all at once and that's a ridiculous thing but drummers figure out how to do it don't they it's through practice so the same is true with understanding things spiritually you have to be okay in the uncomfortableness in the trying while also maintaining that sense of it's possible yeah i can i can do this um, so spiritual learning is a continual process. It's continuous. It, after a set number of years of meditation sessions, you don't cease to learn. You don't hit a point where you're just done. As long as you are alive and breathing, it's continuous. And part of the ability to learn is your capacity to continue learning. So the, the sincere disciple has to avoid the trap of complacency. It's so easy to fall into. Mr. Davis would always advise, once you've reached a peaceful, clear state, sure, you want to stay there. And it's okay to stay there for a little while. But eventually you have to inquire, is there anything beyond this? Is there anything beyond this? So it's a continuous process. It keeps going. Just like you in your own life, don't think you're going to retire and be done. You have to keep going. As long as you are alive, there is something for you to do, to offer, to learn, to study. Keep moving. When you're done, you'll know because you'll be done. <laughs> you won't have a body anymore. Which brings us to the next quality. And that is the quality of fortitude. This isn't discussed very often, fortitude, because, again, many spiritual teachers, they want you to just feel good <laughs> because you're more likely to come back to their classes and pay them lots of money if you leave feeling good for a little while. 
it's almost like they're drug dealers, right? They give you a little bit and they want you to keep coming back. But fortitude, fortitude is required. Um, and fortitude is defined or can be defined as courage in pain and adversity. What? Aren't I learning the spiritual stuff to avoid pain and adversity? No, you're not. You're learning this stuff to be able to endure and move through pain and adversity and not really worry about it too much because pain and adversity is just part of being here in this life. Just like, again, in, in spiritual texts, there is the statement that the yogi, the yogi endures pleasure and pain while seeking knowledge. And in order to endure pleasure and pain while seeking knowledge, you have to have fortitude. You have to. This is required so long as we are embodied and alive and identified with the world of name and form. Um, one of the qualities that are stressed, spiritually speaking, is equanimity. And this quality is to be developed in all circumstances. In all circumstances, it's part of being a yogi. The yogi is not troubled by pleasure, pain, hot, cold, etc. This is fortitude. The sages of yoga made these statements for a reason. And that reason is because fortitude is necessary while equanimity is cultivated. As we discussed in previous session, um, you're going through life and you're meditating well, or you're meditating regularly at least. Uh, you are reading spiritual literature and contemplating it. But then something happens and you're knocked off of your equanimity. You're not, you're not even-minded anymore. You're, you're caught up in, oh, wow, I can't believe this happened. Well, what is your work then? Keep meditating every day. You keep studying your spiritual literature. You keep taking care of your body and your mind as best you can. And then you find a way to, all right, how can I, be, how can I have serenity, equanimity, and contentment, even in this circumstance, which is not pleasant? How can I do that? And your, your ego and your personality rebels. Ah, that's not why we're doing this. We want to have it no matter what. But the true practice of yoga is whatever comes your way, you find a way to establish yourself in that equanimity, in that contentment, in that serenity. It doesn't mean you don't cry and grieve when the love of your life dies. It doesn't mean that you don't get a little aggravated when your uh, car gets rear-ended. It doesn't mean that you don't get disappointed in a child that you know knows better, but for some reason keeps shirking responsibility. It's not that, because you can still express those emotions while internally being established in equanimity. So you can stay internally understanding of this is just life happening, while in the external being appropriate to the situation. And we have to remember, as we discussed many times before, it's not a problem to have grief, anger, sorrow, depression, anxiety, the problem is when you identify with it, when you cling to it, when you make it part of your, uh, who you think you are, you make it part of your um, sense of self, that that's the false sense of self. So anxiety may come, great. Anxiety comes in the same way that a windstorm passes through. You don't sit there and dwell on the windstorm for the rest of your life. You deal with it while it's there, you let it move on. Um, as you develop fortitude, you see how this happens. So being alive in a changeable world is not easy. Um, and even when it comes to our spirituality, the changes that are required of us as spiritual realization dawns, that can also not be easy. 
having to confront childish ideas of what you thought the spiritual life was supposed to be like. So courage is required. Uh, as long as you're in this world, change is inevitable and courage is required. So to be a true disciple requires strength, which fortitude brings. Uh, I was having the discussion with um, Craig Bullock and we were talking about uh, maintaining stability and clarity in a difficult world or a changing world. And Craig being very uh, Catholicly directed, um, I pointed out, I said, well, you know, why don't people ever really consider the Bible? If Jesus was the son of God and he was obviously doing his spiritual work, well, we can see what happened to him. And that required fortitude and strength, but he was fulfilling his role and his responsibility. So we have to find a way through that. And doing things which challenge us can help. For example, I love working with athletes, meaning uh, I, I love working with people who really take it seriously, put, pushing themselves and, and finding their own strength. I prefer working with them to some new age hippie more than anything else. I love the new age hippies, sure. But those athletes, I know all I got to do is point them in a direction. If they come up against some challenge, they don't come running back saying, oh, there is a challenge. What am I going to do? They say, I'm going to find a way through it. And they do. And if they try and they try and they try and they can't find a way through it, then they eventually come back and say, hey, can you maybe give me a little bit of insight so I can get through this? And then they go back and they just bust right through it. Versus people who come from a very uh, passive, um, new agey kind of mentality. The minute they hit an obstacle, you would think the world just exploded and they can't do anything. So finding something that challenges you, I like to encourage my students to do that. Maybe you need to go dancing. Maybe you need to take dance classes. Oh, I'm too self-conscious. Well, go do it. Get over yourself. Maybe you need to exercise more. Oh, I can't do it. I, I haven't exercised in years. Uh, as I've mentioned before, I, I knew a man who drank liters of coffee a day and smoked probably three or four packs of cigarettes a day and in his mid-40s quit doing all of that and now runs regularly and eats a primarily vegetarian diet. So I know these things are possible. Be kind to yourself. Don't abuse yourself. But you can find a way to do it. Uh, I take um, ice baths, meaning I dump a whole bunch of ice in a bucket or in a tub of water and I go sit in it. <laughs> and it took me a few years to be able to do that. First taking cold showers, uh, then wearing less, not wearing such heavy clothing like sweaters and things. Um, until finally one day I said, you know what, it's time. I'm going to get over this. And I just went and got bags of ice and dumped them in my tub. And I jumped in. And I stayed in there for about four minutes, chittering and freezing cold. And I got out I thought, you know what, that wasn't so bad. And then as I kept trying to develop that, I would have those moments of, oh, you don't need to do that right now. You need to rest a little bit. All these thoughts would come to my mind and say, no, forget it. I'm going to go do it. And I found that it made it easier and easier for me to do things that I didn't like to do because I realized half of it was in my mind. If you can get in freezing water and eventually learn to enjoy it, you can do anything. As Craig uh, talked about, he was an amateur boxer. If you can get in the ring and get the hell beat out of you and still get up, 
you're going to find that you can do a whole lot more than you, you think you can. So when it comes to fortitude, this isn't just about powering through yoga techniques. This isn't about pushing yourself to hurt yourself like many Hatha yogis do. When I was in Asheville, many of the teachers there, they, they were all very competitive. And you'd go to a class and one was trying to outdo the other. I'm not talking about doing stretches more that you rip your hamstrings in an effort to make another yogi look bad. I mean, just challenging yourself, pushing yourself so that you know that you've got fortitude because you are a human being that has made it this far. Your ancestors have existed since humanity has been around. So obviously there's some fortitude in there. And the more you develop fortitude, the easier it is to develop equanimity, serenity, contentment, because you know that whatever adversity comes your way, <laughs> you'll get through it and you'll still be content or you won't. <laughs> and then it won't really matter anyway, right? So developing strength, fortitude, equanimity, all this goes together. And this helps to develop the next stage, which is faith. Faith. Now, this is one of the hardest ones to talk about. It's not an easy quality to describe or to cultivate. Some of us, myself included, just simply had to have life beat the hell out of me before <laughs> I was able to develop faith. Um, but because it beat the hell out of me and I'm still here and I got up and I'm continuing with these practices and still moving forward. Now I have a sense of maybe what a fraction of faith might be like, maybe. Um, but uh, as you continue to apply the philosophy of yoga and to meditate as deeply as possible, faith may develop on its own. Because the more you meditate, the more you live the, the practices of yoga, you just naturally become aware of what you truly are and you are less troubled by all the things that bothered your personality and mind previously that made you crippled inside and, and not able to have fortitude. You naturally see through all the, the, the shadow. And so faith comes more easily. Um, but we have to remember words are not capable of doing this justice. Um, it's an experience that you really have to go into. So no one that I know of can talk you into greater faith. No one can help you understand something through words that your own intention and activity, that is what reveals it to you. Um, so in the beginning, you might have to forcibly repress your doubts. <laughs> so it's possible to maintain a sense of faith by forcibly repressing our doubts. That forceful repression in the beginning may give you an opportunity to see through the, the unreality of your doubts. Like, let's take the idea of, of jumping in freezing water from my perspective, uh, meaning that's one of the ways I challenged myself. Um, no, I couldn't do that. I would lose my breath and drown and all these things. Well, I had to forcibly say, I don't care. I'm not listening to that. I got in the ice. Okay. Yeah, it's cold, but it's not too bad. I'm not hyperventilating. I'm not drowning. I wouldn't have necessarily chosen to do this versus maybe getting in a hot tub. Well, obviously I did. But I forcibly repressed my doubts about all the things that could go wrong. And then I tried it, which helped me to see, oh, I can't have faith that I can get into that experience and be okay. Uh, imagine having a neighbor that you don't trust because that person looked like someone who wronged you in the past or when you were younger. Well, you can forcibly repress that distrust 
and eventually see through that conditioning once you observe your neighbor enough to see if they're actually a good kind of person. So in this regard, faith is more like trust and the knowledge of what is true. Um, you could work down, work on seeing the truth of your neighbor in the, in the situations that they're acting and find out, are they really a good person? So you, you suspend your doubt to objectively observe. That is one way to develop faith. And that can be useful in the beginning. Now, you don't want to do that so much that you become uh, overly optimistic and just end up injuring yourself because this time it's going to work out. This time that person that keeps hurting me is going to be different. This time spending all my money on things that aren't important, that's not going to matter that much. It's not that. <laughs> We're not talking about that. That's just ignorance. Um, from a disciple's perspective, there may be a lot of aspects of yoga which can't be appreciated due to one's current level of development. And I can speak to that. There have been many stages in my own development where uh, I couldn't fully appreciate what Mr. Davis was sharing with me, what he was teaching. But because of how he guided me in the past and how I experimented and, and tried what he was sharing and saw that it basically worked, I was able to suspend that doubt a little bit to go into that, that, that realm of uncertainty just to see what's going to happen. Um, if you've seen a child throw a tantrum because they were denied more candy, well, the child can't appreciate the parent's knowledge that if they eat too much candy, that's going to hurt their health long-term. The child doesn't have faith in the parent, so they cry. Um, when a Kriya Yoga teacher advises a student towards, uh, to work towards a stable income or steady employment, oftentimes when students don't have that or they think it's too binding, they rebel and they leave. And they go, they don't understand, I'm a free spirit. Um, the student can mistakenly uh, consider that the teacher doesn't know what it means to practice non-attachment. Because if the teacher understood this, then he wouldn't be encouraging one to waste life on pursuing money. Well, think about that. Maybe it's more likely that the teacher understands that a steady income and the stability that provides, that that gives more time to focus on meditation. And the regular schedule of discipline gives more time to really do the work. So when, when you or you meet someone who says they're spiritual, but they don't have a, a disciplined life because it's too binding, or they can't keep steady income, or they can't, they can't just keep it together, um, you have to ask yourself, do they really want clarity of awareness? Because clarity of awareness is more likely to occur through a regular schedule, through discipline. It's more likely to occur that way. So these are simple and necessary examples um, of what it's like to proceed on the awakening path. Um, faith is such a complicated issue. Um, I've, I've thought about it a lot and I've contemplated a lot for myself and, and trying to explain it to others. And still, it seems to be something that just comes in time. Um, and this can relate to subtle matters as well. You know, some people think that devotion alone, you experience self-realization. And sometimes, as Sri Yukteswar did with Paramahansa Yogananda, a teacher may say, quit being so emotional. Focus on mastering your states of consciousness. Um, and 
if if a student has a preconceived notion that it's all just devotion all the time, then they'll abandon their practices and they'll miss a wonderful opportunity. And these things happen all the time because of lack of development of faith. And mainly it happens because of lack of discernment or lack of intellectual capacity to understand why something might be useful, which we've already touched upon. Hmm. So what more to say about faith? This probably isn't true for most of you, but many people oftentimes who say they have faith, who claim they have faith, often have not been overly challenged by life. Um, They've not really been put up against something that's shaken their faith. And because of this, those people, those students tend to retreat from spiritual practices during times of hardship. And that's a terrible situation. Uh, It's also the reason fortitude is necessary to be a sincere disciple. And sincere disciples do not give up because of things such as illness, death, loss, um, because these experiences are part of the natural world. And having the fortitude to endure these things and the, the, the discernment to know that they are part of the natural world, this leads to real faith eventually. This leads to real faith eventually. And so this is the, this is the hard part. This is the part that most people crumple and, and, and give up and, and move away from their practice when they need to stick with it. And it really, it's the time to stick with it. So real faith uh, is present during challenging situations as well as situations of ease. Um, and the deeper that we're able to go into meditation and realize that we're not only a mind-body unit, but we are this eternal infinite presence that always does and has existed, uh, the easier it is to appreciate faith no matter the circumstances in life. So as we see, the qualities to develop, to be a, an effective disciple, they all, in, they all integrate. They all contribute to each other even. So you work on one, you tend to develop the others as well. <clears throat> now, the remainder of, of my list of uh, necessary qualities for discipleship, adaptability, respect for the teaching, discipline, humility, and discernment, uh, these are all necessary and, and, and useful Uh, We've touched upon them a little bit already, but adaptability. Too many people are, they want to latch on to something, know that that's the formula, and never deviate from it. Now, it's true. You want to stay true to a practice to make sure you get the full benefit. You don't go to the gym and do three push-ups and say, this isn't working, and then go do something else. You do it long enough to where you get the idea of what push-ups do for you. And once you get the hang of it, then you might adapt. (laughs) Then you might do another arm exercises and so on. Um, When it comes to spirituality, you have to be flexible. You have to be able to stay true to the course, but be able to navigate the course well. If you want to, if you were piloting a ship across the sea and you're trying to get from point A to point B, yes, theoretically, you draw a straight line from point A to point B. But in practice, once you get on the ship, you come up against a storm, you get off course. Now you have to have the adaptability to figure out, all right, how do I get back on course? 
And then you run into an island that wasn't on the map because no one's gone that far before. All right, how do I get around this island? You have the adaptability. So adaptability isn't jumping around, being uh, easily distracted. Adaptability is, is keeping the teaching in mind, keeping your direction in mind, but realizing that you, you have a unique human life and your human life is going to require that you adapt these things to your circumstances while continuing to move forward in the direction that you're aiming for. If you don't do that, what are you going to do? You're going to get off course in that storm and you're going to think, well, I was going straight before I got in the storm. I'm going straight now. So I'm just going to keep going straight. And you end up never getting where you're supposed to go. Or you hit an island. Well, this must be where I'm supposed to be because I was supposed to keep going straight and then I would hit land. So this must be the land that I was aiming for. <laughs> you see how people can think. <clears throat> so adaptability is necessary. Respect for the teaching is necessary. This stuff has been around for a long time. It's been around for a long time. The practices are simple. They really are. They're simple. Respect for the teaching becomes difficult because we live in a world, well, now that I think about it, people had these problems in the good old days too, right? Where there were charlatans, people taking advantage of others, misleading others. So this is where you have to have some discernment as well uh, and an intellectual capacity to know what is true and, or to develop that. Because there are plenty of teachers out there and I've met quite a few of them. And I don't think I'm one of them. I try to be as direct as possible, but you never know. It's sometimes hard to uh, judge your, yourself when you are the only point of view you have. Um, but I trust Roy Davis because uh, he observed me for multiple years. And uh, other than a few little pointers, I didn't get too much criticism from him. So I'm going to assume that I'm sharing it correctly. But many teachers, they'll talk you in circles and they'll bend agendas within spiritual texts so that you'll do what they want you to do. So that can make respect for the teaching hard if you're used to being manipulated by others. But for example, what I have read and learned from Mr. Davis and what he describes in his discussion on the Yoga Sutras and the Bhagavad Gita, it's straightforward. And to me, it's a manual that when applied, it just works. So when you come to it, when you come to an established tradition, you have to have respect. You have to have respect for the teaching because there are going to be things that you don't understand in the beginning sometimes. And you don't understand why you need to be disciplined. You don't understand why you have to meditate in a certain way. You don't understand why you um, might have to get rid of your dramatic relationships because you're just still caught up in your small sense of self. But when a teaching has been established and it's continued in clarity for long enough, at some point in time, you got to say, well, maybe I need to get over my preconceptions and just give this a real shot. Give this a real shot. And again, this is why, as I dis discussed, I love working with athletes. Uh, 
when athletes become interested, when athletes and successful business people become interested in um, Kriya Yoga practice, because I know the hard work that goes into building a successful business. I know the hard work that goes into being a, a, a healthy athlete. Um, you know, my sister, she's a, almost a professional athlete and she's been a coach for a long time. I know the hard work that she does. There's no questioning when, when, she, when one of her trainers or instructors says, go do this. She doesn't sit there and say, but why, but why, but why? She, she, she goes to instructors that are successful in what they do, that demonstrate um, strength and success in their chosen sport. And so she just goes and she does it because it's already established, it's obvious. So when you find a teacher or a teaching that embodies what you want to experience, there may be moments where you have to trust and have respect for the teaching. Even if your little personality is still acting like an eight-year-old and thinking like an eight-year-old, you got to break through that. So respect for the teaching is necessary in that regard. And most people I know who, who come to this process or to the Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship Program, they already have it. So that's not that big of a, an issue, but um, we do have to consider it. Discipline, again, that doesn't really need much explanation. Discipline just keeps you on track. It develops fortitude. It allows you to move through any excuses you have. It makes you stronger. It allows you to see the benefits of the life of of. of following the instructions of doing the formula of of engaging all aspects of your life having that discipline humility is important humility you're not doing this to become anything Uh, this is one of the reasons why i recommend that people just live a normal life i recommend that you if you want to relate to other people get a hobby and go join a meetup or find people that are interested in in things that you're interested in like gardening or music or an activity or even some kind of little niche thing. It doesn't matter if you like collecting little porcelain dolls. I don't care. Those are the people you, you have, you spend time with that you have relationships with in the sense of friendships and you, you get that sense of social satisfaction. Uh, why, why am I using this? Because um, too often people want to develop or be seen as spiritual as though they're better than others. And in my own life, um, the people that I spend time with know what I do for a living, but I don't talk about it. When I'm playing music with people, we're just playing music, having a good time. I'm not there trying to act more spiritual so that they finally come to the light of Kriya Yoga. Uh, When I go fishing with one of my friends, I don't try to find every moment I can to drop in a, a metaphor or a spiritual analogy to teach them about how they need to be more spiritual. Uh, when I'm playing cards with my family, we're just eating popcorn, drinking a beer, playing cards, laughing at uh, inappropriate jokes and having a good time. We're just being naughty, you know, playing cards, having, having a good time. Uh, so there, there's, no, there's no sense of I am a spiritual person and I'm going to carry this into every experience. If you're a spiritual person, you do carry it in every experience. It'll be there. People, people will like being around you. They'll recognize the peace and clarity that you have. You don't have to talk about it. You don't have to encourage them to do it. You don't have to evangelize. 
Um, so you have to have humility in that regard, but you also have to have humility in the sense of, um, you have to have humility in knowing that you are, you are learning, you are a disciple. As long as you are alive, you are a disciple. And that consistently, there will be, there will be much, 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 much more that you don't know. And you appreciate what it is that you do know and you apply that. But just because you have the skill and you can do that, um, but you hold the understanding that there's so much more than this. For example, uh, in the Kriya Yoga podcast, what does it start out with? A little phrase, um, there's so much more than the mortal mind can know. Well, you have to be able to have the humility to know that you are part of a great mystery. And that no matter where, the, the deeper you go into the process, the, the bigger the mystery gets, actually. And it becomes comfortable because you're okay with it. You, you begin to love the mystery. You, you become less afraid and fearful of, I have to pin down this situation. I have to control that. I have to know that this is going to go that way. I have to make sure that everything's lined up perfectly. You lose that sense of constant control. And you begin to, you continue to do your discipline, what you know to be true, that you've learned through the practices of yoga, but you become more comfortable in the mystery of the infinite. You become more comfortable in the mystery of the infinite. And you become more humble because you, you realize just how small this little mind-body personality really is. But it's also so important to the whole. It's, that's where we start to get a little bit mystical. But um, humility is required there. You have to be humble within the process, not to think that you know more or that knowing is really doing anything for you. That's just, a, that's just a, an aspect that helps you get through the whole process, the things that you do know. Um, but being humble, realizing that you are, you are, in a sense, a vessel for life. You are a vessel for life. And that's okay. And whether life comes around and steamrolls you over, for some reason, life needed that to happen. Or if life comes around and lifts you up, Wonderful, you appreciate it, but you know life's going to let you down eventually too. So you, you always have the sense of humility that you are just doing what needs to be done right here and right now. And that is required in this process. And the last one, and there are probably many more, but for the sake of our instruction, discernment. You have to develop discernment. And that comes by practicing truth. By doing your best to have integrity, to be true to yourself and to others, um, to speak the truth, not being spiteful or harming others, but to speak the truth. And sometimes the truth is you don't know and you just be quiet. So sometimes, sometimes the truth, sometimes knowing the truth isn't you have a word or a phrase to say. Sometimes knowing the truth is just the truth right now is just be quiet. That's the truth. Be silent. And most of the time that's really the truth. But the more you, you, you practice truth, and again, that means on, from the very basic level of um, someone invites you out to dinner and they're your friends. And for years you've been going out to dinner with them and you didn't really want to, but because they're your friend, you feel obligated. Finally, you say, you know what? I don't really want to go. And of course their feelings are hurt. And you say, I just don't want to go. That's the truth of it. I just, I'd rather do something else. And, and you get through that. And eventually you learn to <laughs> convey those things without well, you get the idea. Or if, let's say, you have a particular lifestyle, something as simple as 
Um, you always take your shoes off when you come in the house. You always do. And yet your family comes over and they never do. And that always just, and you're always a little tense because of that. What your truth might be starting today, as soon as your family walks in, I don't care how old they are or how much you don't think they can change. You say, would you please take your shoes off? Um, we take our shoes off in this house. And um, they might be agitated by it, but you've expressed it. And if, if they say no, you say, great, but that's really, that really makes me angry. And you're being honest about it, not in a way that's aggressive. You're just sharing it. Or if you love someone, tell someone you love them. That's the truth. If it comes up, you don't hold yourself back because you might get let down or hurt or they might not understand. Say the truth of, of what's there. Um, if you're... Uh, if you have a different kind of sexual preference, I don't even know what they call it these days, I've lost track, but if you prefer, if, you have, if you're not just you know, man and woman, uh, that's the way the relationship's supposed to go. And you need to share that because that is your truth and your integrity. Do it, not to cause problems, not to draw attention to yourself, but because you finally need to say it to someone. Integrity and truth develops discernment <clears throat> because the more you live in your truth, the easier you have discernment because you will know when you say things, whether they are true or not. And you also know when people speak to you, <clears throat> if they're being truthful, it's like a feeling that, that, that comes out. And you know what I mean? When people have lied to you, you know, they're not giving you everything that they've got. Um, so on all levels of the spectrum, practicing truth will help you develop discernment. And sometimes you have to explore truth. Uh, I mean, if you're going to challenge yourself, as we discussed earlier, you think the truth is you can't do certain things, uh, but you haven't tried. So sometimes truth requires that you actually go out and actively explore and see what's true. I can remember rock climbing one time, and the first time I climbed without a rope, I'd never done that before. And I'm not a big heights. I don't mind them, but being on the edge of a cliff, for some reason, <laughs> it gives a little fluttery feeling. And I can remember the first time I went rock climbing without a rope. And I was scared, but I thought, oh, I might as well try it. And they put the pads down. I thought, well, I don't know what those pads are going to do. So I got halfway up the rock, and I was stuck. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I couldn't see any handholds. I made the mistake of looking down. There's no way I could climb back down. And my legs started shaking. My hands started shaking. And I knew if I didn't do something right now, I was going to fall. And it was probably going to hurt. And something kicked in and I just moved. My body just, I'm not even thinking about it, shot straight up that rock. Somehow I found handholds that weren't there. My feet were in little crevices I didn't even know were there. And probably two seconds later, I was at the top looking down thinking, Ooh, I'm glad that worked. But so I learned that while I didn't think I could do that, the truth of the matter was I could, it, it was possible. So discernment and truth, you do have to experiment with it, feel it out just to make sure you do know what the truth of it is. So these are qualities and characteristics that are useful to consider to find out, are you really, do you have the capacity to do this? Most of you, I imagine, do. And if you don't, it's not a problem. You can find the capacity. You can develop these things. So if you, if you, if you only have one of these, or even if you can only imagine that you have one of these, start working on it and realize that the rest of your life, you're going to be developing these, these qualities and these characteristics until eventually you will know why they are so important. One day 
if you are ever in a situation where someone asks you about Kriya Yoga and they say, what's really involved? You'll say, well, let me tell you. <laughs> and you'll be able to list these things out from experience. And, and in that way, the lineage of enlightenment continues in some small, on some small level. <clears throat> so consider this as you continue to practice Kriya Yoga and grow into your Kriya Yoga practice and realize that it's a continuous process. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.